Welcome to the study of the book of Revelation, taught by Michael Fitzgerald, senior pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes, which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. Well, if you've been with us for the duration here, we move along in a study through the book of the Revelation. This is study number nine on this Wednesday night. Uh, The book... Uh, Let me just let this serve as an introduction for those who may not have been here with us recently or this is your first time. This book was written by the disciple John. He was an older man at the time. Most of the disciples died early in life as martyrs. Uh, However, John survived until he was an old man. He was an older man when he was exiled to the prison island of Patmos, which is in the Aegean Sea. And the reason he was arrested and put into that prison situation is simply because he preached the Lord Jesus Christ in the Roman Empire. He was arrested and put on that island. On one Sunday, the Lord's Day, God lifts John to the throne room of heaven to give him a message. And John sees sights that he would have never imagined in his life. But as he falls to Jesus in fear... Jesus lays his hand on him, which was a very familiar touch that he hadn't felt for many decades. And the fear goes away, and Jesus says, John, I want you to write three things. And these three things that you're going to write down will serve as a prophecy for my church for the long term. Number one, write down your vision of the risen Christ. Number two, write down seven letters to seven specific churches in Asia Minor And as we study through these letters, as we're in this second phase of the study right now, we realize that not only were those letters intended for churches in that day, but the messages continue to touch us and our church in this day. And then the third part of his writing assignment was to write down God's prophecy about the future of the world. And we are going to break into that third part here in just a couple of weeks. Tonight, we're going to look at the sixth letter of the seven that... The Lord Jesus commands John to write, this is a letter to the church in Philadelphia. Philadelphia was and continues to be a city in Asia Minor, and it was named for love. I'm sure most of you know because we have a Philadelphia in the United States that Philadelphia means city of brotherly love. Two brothers, Attalus II and Eumenes, who was king of of Pergamum, Uh, These two brothers loved each other so much that this city was named in honor of their love for one another, the city of Philadelphia. Now, because we do have a city of uh, Philadelphia in the United States, uh, I don't know, maybe most of you know, uh, that my wife Gwen went to uh, Philadelphia to college, to the Philadelphia College of Bible. She was there for four years. That college was in downtown Philadelphia. Uh, It is no longer existing downtown. They now have a beautiful campus on the outskirts of Philadelphia. But when Gwen went, it was right downtown. And she said that the city actually had another name. It was the city of Brotherly Shove uh, when she was there. Uh, But the ancient city of Philadelphia continues to exist today in the country of Turkey. It has a population of over 15,000 people. Many of them are Christian Now, if you recall, out of these seven letters to the churches, 
Uh, most of the letters have two words in them, a word of commendation and a word of condemnation, a positive word, a negative word from the Lord. But two churches out of the seven receive no word of condemnation, Smyrna and Philadelphia. Those two churches give, were given nothing but positive marks from the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting also, and I've mentioned this before, but it's interesting that those cities where the church served with no condemnation, those are the only two cities that still do exist. That says something about the Lord's blessing on those cities because of those faithful churches. So tonight we're going to look at the letter to the church in Philadelphia. It is in Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. So turn your Bible with me there, and let's hear this letter to the church in Philadelphia. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and has not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh, Will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches." May God add his blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word, the letter that goes to the church in Philadelphia. Now, in every letter to the church, Jesus reveals something about himself. In this letter, verse 7, we see four things about Jesus. Let's, let's read verse 7 one more time. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. Four things. Number one, Jesus is holy. When we worship him, this is no waste of time. But rather, we are falling before our holy God. We worship him alone who is holy. And you know in the Lord's Prayer when Jesus said of God Almighty, hallowed be thy name, it is true that God the Father is holy. Hallowed be his name, but also hallowed be the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, for he is God himself and he is absolutely holy. Secondly, it tells us that Jesus is true. There is no ability in God to lie to us or to mislead us. And according to John chapter 8, verse 44, 
Satan is the father of all lies, and God is always true, and God is always truthful and faithful. So there is no reason ever to doubt his perfect word. This word is his truth, and it will be true forever and ever, and it will stand for all eternity. Jesus is true. Thirdly, Scripture says here that Jesus has the key of David. Now, if you're familiar with Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, it says that Jesus owns the keys of death and Hades. But this key of David is different. King David, of course, was an earthly king. He reigned over the nation of Israel in an earthly sense. So the key of David speaks about Jesus' dominion over the earth. And we know that he holds dominion over the earth right now. However, we also know that the Lord allows Satan certain power within this earthly realm. According to the Gospel of John, chapter 12, chapter 16, the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, uh, Satan is called the prince of this world. There is some power that Satan wields in this day. Do you remember when uh, Satan was tempting Jesus? And he says, if you fall before me in worship, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Satan spoke truth to him because he is the prince of this world. He could give Jesus earthly things. However, remember that anything that Satan would give to Jesus is corrupt and crumbling and would not be eternal. Jesus is going to reign. That's not a hope. That's not a wish. That is truth. It is definite and it is a coming fact. He holds the keys of David, which means he is going to absolutely, completely reign and rule in an earthly sense one day. And we'll see that as we study through the book of the Revelation. Uh, The the fourth thing about Jesus uh, we learn in Revelation 3-7 is that that which Jesus opens, no one will shut, and that which he shuts, no one will open. So in other words, every decision about the Lord that he makes and every decision about life and salvation and heaven and hell, every decision that is made by him is a final decision. No man, no woman, no demon, no angel has any control over Jesus' ultimate authority. He is the one who opens the door and shuts the door, shuts the door and opens the door. He is the final authority. Now, in direct connection with Revelation, if you remember, moving back to the very first book of the Bible versus the last book, when God shut the door of the ark, no one else could come into that ark for salvation. In the decades that Noah spent building that ark, the door stood open. And if you remember, the Bible says that he was a preacher of the Word. Noah invited people to be saved by coming on the ark and missing judgment. And the door stood open. However, there came a point in time, it does not say in Genesis that Noah shut the door. It said God shut the door. That was true in the Noachic story of Uh, the ark and the flood and the fact that the earth perished in God's judgment because no one except Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives had the faith to come into that ark. In the same way, one day that is to come, 
the Lord Jesus Christ is going to shut the door of invitation to heaven. That day is going to come. The day of invitation to the ark finally closed. And the day of invitation to an open heaven is going to come. Now, today, the gates, the door is wide, wide open for anyone who will come. I saw two young men today, boys, saved by grace through Jesus Christ. The gate of heaven is wide open. The door is open today, but the day will come when Jesus will shut that door, and it will be closed forever. Jesus and Jesus alone has complete authority in all matters, earthly and heavenly. He is the authority. Now, on to the message to the church in Philadelphia. Within this letter of no retribution, Jesus gives Philadelphia three major commendations regarding their ministry. All of these commendations are in verse 8. First one of the three, I know thy works. He says that to many of these churches. In other words, he searches us and he knows our ministry. He knows our works. God has seen the positive outcome of the ministry of the church in Philadelphia. Uh, you know, there is something wrong with a church when that church does not produce any fruit. A fruit tree is supposed to produce fruit. A church of the living Lord is, is supposed to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. It is important for God, it is important for the world to see Jesus working in us and Jesus working through us as we take the gospel into the world. I am grateful to say that the Lord has seen fruit from this church. We'll continue to see fruit from this church as we are faithful to him. But he says to Philadelphia, I know thy works. I know your good ministry. And I pray that our Lord will always look at us and say, I know Clifford Baptist Church, your works, and I know your good ministry. The second commendation that he gives to the church at Philadelphia, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. Whenever the church seeks to reach out and minister, Jesus is going to open doors of service to us. If we are faithful, if we are surrendered the Lord will make sure that doors of ministry are open to you in your daily life and open to me. He will make sure that doors of ministry open to this church that we can go to the world with the gospel of a living Lord. Now, Philadelphia did minister. And the reason he says, I have set before you an open door. He is saying, I am grateful and proud of your work for me because you're doing ministry even in the face of persecution. Even as you go out into the streets of Philadelphia, you may face death, but you continue to do ministry for, for me. I have set before you an open door and you are going through it in ministry. And no man, not even a man with a sword and an edict from the Roman government to take your life, no man can stop my ministry in the city of Philadelphia because I have opened the door of ministry for you, church. When Jesus opens the door of ministry, soldiers with swords or guns cannot stop people from ministering for the Lord. Nothing can, can shut that door because the Lord Jesus is the one who opens it. What the Roman Empire found through the course of the years is this. The harder they tried to stamp out the church, the stronger it got. The harder they tried to stop the ministry, the more it spread. 
It's amazing that as much as the government tried to stop the ministry of the church, that is what gave the impetus and the strength through the, the, the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ that the church continued to grow in those years. It did not die, but rather it grew because Jesus opened that door and no man can shut it. Uh, the hotter and the better the church got, even as the persecution grew. That says something to us. As we live in this nation and we see so many things happening that are directly opposed to the ministry of the church, the church is to rise to those challenges and we're to step out with the gospel and we're to stand on truth and we're never to compromise and we're never to allow it to come through the thresholds of these doors. But we stand on the truth of the word because our Lord has opened that door of ministry for us. The third commendation, also in verse 8, for thou hast a little strength. And has kept my word and has not denied my name. Now, the word for strength in Greek is dunamin. And the Greek word gives us the word in English, dynamite. Uh, there seems to be this small group of Christians. And they're in a, a large city. Uh, but these Christians in the large city of Philadelphia had very little earthly strength, very little earthly power. I'm sure they didn't have a great big church building, but that wasn't important to them. The important thing is that they were faithful to live for the Lord Jesus, and they continued to serve him faithfully under the authority of his word. He says, thou hast kept my word. These Christians lived in a culture of skepticism, they lived in a city of unbelief, uh, but they stayed true to the Savior. And even though they weren't physically strong as a church, God continued to bless and to uh, move their ministry ahead. That same principle carries over to us. If we stay true to the living Lord Jesus Christ, He is going to bless our ministry. Amen? We stay true uh, no matter how strong or weak we might think we are, we stay true to the world in taking the gospel there. Now, verse 9 is a statement uh, that's tough, but it is true. Uh, this is a truth about the Jewish people, the Israelites. Look at verse 9. Let's read that verse, chapter 3, verse 9. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. This is a tough truth, but what it is saying, and I've, I've gone through many avenues today to confirm that I'm telling you the right thing uh, in teaching this verse. Jesus came as the Savior to all people. Correct? He came to save all. In fact, if you look in the book of Romans, chapter 1... Verse 16, Paul writes this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Jesus came to save all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, all nations, all colors, all peoples, Jesus came to save the world. Now, as you know, in the Old Testament, God established the Jewish nation 
as his chosen people, his elect people, and the Jews still have a special relationship with God. And we need to work on behalf of the Jewish nation. They are still God's chosen people. What Scripture says is, when Jesus came, he came first for them. The Jews should have been first to receive Jesus as Savior. But according to Revelation chapter 3, so many Jews have rejected Jesus and still need him as Savior. They need him like everyone else. But the Jewish nation, of course, is expecting a Messiah of governmental and uh, military power. And so they have rejected the Savior who came in a manger and went to a cross. Many, many have accepted him, but many, many have rejected him. And Jesus is saying to Philadelphia that those who continue to live under the law as Jews but turn Jesus away are sadly lacking the provision and the salvation of God Almighty. Physically, they're Jews, but he says it's a satanic thing in that they have rejected the Savior from their own family who came for them, who died for them, who was risen again for them. The true chosen child of God is the one who has come to the Savior, Jesus Christ. And he came for Jew and Gentile alike, but he came to save us all. But the Jews need him as much as we Gentiles need him as Savior. Every person, regardless of their race, their nation, their family heritage, needs Jesus as Lord and Savior. You know, I've said this many times before, but my son and daughter, Terry and Gabe, could not have been saved simply because their daddy was a preacher. They couldn't ride into heaven on my coattails. But it was a personal decision for them and for the Jewish nation. They can't ride into heaven on Abraham's coattails. They have to come in faith to Jesus Christ like the rest of the world. It's true for every Jew. It is true for every Gentile. It is true for every person in the world. It is just as true for Mary, the mother of Jesus, as it has been for me. She needed the Savior, Jesus, as much as I need Jesus as Savior. Now, one day, scoffers and unbelievers and every person who tried to prove sufficiency outside of Jesus will sadly and too late realize that he indeed was the way and the truth and the life. No matter their family heritage or their background, he is the way to that open door of heaven. Now, look at verse 10. Revelation 3, 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. I think it is so interesting to hear that these Christians in Philadelphia were patient. They kept Jesus' patience. He says, you have kept my patience. They had patiently served the Lord daily. Now, it is it is probably true that though they had served the Lord faithfully every day, the reason they had to have Jesus' patience is because they didn't see so many results pouring in day after day. Perhaps the results of their ministry were few. But we realize, too, that Jesus is a patient Savior. 
And he is patiently waiting for that person who might pass through their 20s and their 30s and their 40s and their 50s and their 60s and their 70s. And here they are in their 80s. And Jesus has yet to come into their heart. But Jesus is a patient Savior. And if they will receive him at 85, 89, 90 years old, their salvation will be just as sweet as if they received him at six years old. He is a patient Savior, and he is waiting for every person. He's also waiting for you and me to go to those lost people and bring them in uh, to the salvation of the risen Lord Christ. He is patiently waiting for so many who have yet to come for his forgiveness. Now, also this verse 10 establishes a fact about the church. For the very first time in the book of Revelation, it tells us that a great hour of temptation is coming to the world. An hour of trouble is coming to the world. This is the first reference to the great tribulation that is going to come to the world. And, of course, we're going to learn more and more about the tribulation period as we go through this study together. But Jesus says to Philadelphia, I am going to keep you from that hour. I'm going to keep you from going through that hour of the great tribulation. I believe that before the great tribulation begins, Jesus is going to rapture or catch up his church out of this world and take us to heaven before the great tribulation begins. Now, if you believe in those terms, you are called a pre-tribulationist. You believe that the, that the church goes out prior to the coming of the great tribulation. That's exactly what Jesus tells the church in Philadelphia. Before this hour comes, I'm going to get you out of here. You're not going to go through this hour. Jesus calls his church the salt of the earth. And uh, I know uh, years and years ago, Mars Thomas came up with the analogy that uh, if you take salt out of cured meat, it's going to rot. If we're the salt of the earth... What's going to happen when Jesus takes the salt off the earth? That's when the rot sets in. That's when the great tribulation gets hold of the world. Verse 11, Jesus says, I will come quickly for my church. That doesn't necessarily mean soon. Of course, the church has been waiting on him now for over 2,000 years since this letter was written. However, when he says, I'm coming quickly, it means I'm coming suddenly. I'm coming very suddenly. We don't know when the rapture, we don't know when that's going to come. We don't know when the church is going to be caught up, but we do know it will happen. We don't know when, but we do, we do know it will. No question, it will happen. So until that point, we are to remain faithful in all of we do. We are to be busy about his work. Uh, we are to uh, be working for the master until he comes through the door. Uh, if you remember, in Luke chapter 18, verse 8, are these words, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. My directive to you through this Word of God is that we are to be faithful. And if the Lord Jesus comes tonight or tomorrow... Or if the Lord allows us to live 10 more years, whenever he comes and we're still walking the soil of this earth, our prayer is that he will find you and me faithful. If we're still living in this little community, that he will still find us faithfully serving the Lord in this church body. We are to be found faithful. Now, finally look at verse 12. Uh, Revelation 3, 12. 
Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. To every believer, to every overcomer, Jesus says, we become a pillar in the temple of God. Well, I'm sure you know that pillars hold up a structure. Those pillars right there are truly holding up the structure. And uh, Scooter Kazee, who's sitting right back there, uh, helped to get these pillars in here. And he can tell you that they're truly, those are some uh, decorative uh, forms around the true steel pillars that are holding up that balcony. Those pillars are bearing weight. And what we hear from God's Word tonight is that as pillars hold up a structure, the whole kingdom of God is held up by pillars of faith and faithfulness. God is faithful to us. That's the pillar upon which our faith stands. But also, we know that His desire for us is that we become a pillar who holds faith forth in this world. Um, We are to be those pillars of faith and faithfulness to Him. He is faithful to us. We return faithfulness to Him. Our faith then contributes to the underpinnings of God's kingdom. Also notice that Jesus says when we have faith in Him as Savior, that He will write upon us the name of God, and He will write upon us the name of God's city, and He will write upon us our new names as residents of that city. The inscription that is literally on us is our passport into the kingdom of heaven. And of course, we know that it tells us here that his kingdom is called the New Jerusalem. That inscription is our passport, our visa of citizenship to the New Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting to note as we will study on in the book of the Revelation where we learn here that there's going to be an inscription on us. There's also going to be an inscription on lost people. We find that in Revelation 13. If you'd like to turn with me since you're in chapter 3 right now, if you want to flip over to chapter 13... Verses 16 and 17, this is talking about, of course, the Antichrist. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark on their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he had the mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that understanding, uh, him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. It is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, threescore, and six. So there is an inscription that will be inscribed on lost people as well, those who permit this mark of the beast in their lives. So following Satan will produce a mark of identification with satanic things in this world. And Revelation is clear, you cannot bear the inscription of Jesus and the inscription of the beast on your body. They both cannot be on a body, but rather it's one or the other. There is no gray area, there is no middle ground, there is no neutral zone. Uh, You're either lost or you're saved. You either have the inscription of the beast or the inscription of the Savior. An old country preacher once said, uh, is you is or is you ain't a child of God. 
There is only two ways that you can be. You're a saint or an ain't, according to J. Vernon McGee. So tonight, in our hearts, I believe that when the Holy Spirit lives in you and me, we know we belong to Him. We know He lives in our hearts. Tonight, if you know you belong to Him, then together we say, praise God. He has given us life. He has given us ministry. He has given us hope. And he's also given us the connection as brothers and sisters because he lives in our hearts. He joins us together uh, as his people. If there is doubt in your heart, if there is confusion, if you're not sure, or if you're saying, no, he does not live in my heart. Tonight, by the Bible's definition, you're lost. But in a moment's time, you can be saved. Because he came for Jew and Gentile. He came for every person that everyone can receive him as Lord and Savior. Tonight, seek me out or seek Pastor Clyde out or a brother or sister here. And we will show you and tell you how you can make that decision for the Lord Jesus. He does not become your Savior because of mama or daddy or grandparents. It is a highly personal decision that only you can make. And and as it says in the, uh, the letter to Philadelphia... He is patiently waiting on you.